0: This is M & Me, produced by MOBA, engineered by Bishop, written by Basis Coppola, narrated by Daniel Henschel. This audio series is based on Max and Bollocks, a narrative-driven AI experiment in NFT art. One story, unique abstract artworks, own the future of art history. Go to www.maxandbollocks.com for more information. Part five. What makes art valuable? How does one look at an artwork, consider its subjective qualities and arrive at a dollar value? Beauty? Sure. Cultural significance? Rarity? Good to have. Celebrity? Sure, celebrity never hurts. The artist's place in the canon and the transcendent, indefinable quality of the sublime? Sure, fine, okay. Those seem like the things that should matter. But ask an art dealer and the honest ones will tell you it's far simpler. The value of an artwork is what someone will pay for it. Imagine that you were walking into an art gallery. Who are you? You could be anyone. Hungry, Russian, oligarchs, old money, a grizzled outback grazier whose land turned out to hide a fortune in oil. The only thing you need is to be so rich money is essentially an abstract concept. A work of art might double in value on a given day because a customer walked in giddy after a long lunch, wearing a particularly nice watch, and fall for a dealer's charms. For this reason, high-end art galleries never display prices, because the art's value is in one sense immaterial. The art is worth what someone who loves it deems it to be so, and the dealer's job is to work out what it's worth to you. It tends to be worth more, it must be said when the person trying to sell it to you is extremely attractive. My boss, I think I've mentioned she is very attractive, once worked on a gallery show floor, somewhere on her journey from model to photographer to my superior. Part of her job had been to size up customers and work out what artworks would sing to them and what they would be willing to pay. Sometimes this is easier than others. Pity my poor boss back a few years ago when she'd been a photographer, working part-time as a gallerist in a photography boutique in Melbourne on a slow afternoon. Once upon a time, it was easy to size up a customer. Bankers, admin, corporate raiders. The same face and the same paunchy private school rugby champ, steak-fed paunch, Zanetti suit, Omega watch and Irene Williams boots. They would come in, and she would smooth them Gently and then send them home with a minimalist triptych for their office foyer, for a grossly inflated price. But then the world's markets exploded, and Australia barely seemed to notice. Suddenly, everybody was rich, and nobody had any taste. It was impossible to know who was a customer and who was wasting your time. Manic Adderall added pitchmen for digital agencies in their band t-shirts and Converse shoes, and their 40s, who were just as wealthy as the bored Chinese expats who slouched in Louis Vuitton tracksuits and Louboutin looking for the next Ai Weiwei teenage app designers with waistcoats. Anyone could be a millionaire, and everything was horrible. The boss had told me all this way back when. Back when we spoke more often, which by chance was when she had been trying to get our agency into the NFT racket. In her view, they were the most exciting thing to happen to art in decades. It returned dignity to creators by giving them back what mass media and pop culture had taken away. They made things unique again. Art has no intrinsic value, the boss told the company at the pitch meeting. Its worth reflects only two things scarcity and monetary value. By giving collectors the chance to own the very essence of digital art, it gives back its scarcity and gives back its soul. She spoke eloquently, passionately, with the zeal of a missionary pitching a deity to a crowd of uncomprehending faces. She really seemed to believe what she was saying, and although she didn't get the idea up then, it had stayed with me. Since M came into my life, I started thinking more and more about art, and how maybe, in my unexpected life as a jaded art school casualty, I'd been a little premature in deciding contemporary art was dead. Maybe you've heard of Damien Hirst? Specifically his work, The Physical impossibility of Death in the Mind of Someone Living. It's an Australian tiger shark rotting in a tank of formaldehyde. It's a statement on something or other, but it's best known for how much money it made. The shark cost £50,000. Just over a decade later, it sold for at least $8 million. It's silly money, but that isn't what bothers me. It's fine to want to make money. The problem is that now marketing and artistic inspiration are fused, we're never going to see a generation that walks into a gallery without thinking about the market value of the exhibits. Never again will someone come unprepared and stand quietly before the Mona Lisa to have an experience with the sublime. Poor Lisa will never spend another day without vacant-eyed tourists shuffling through to capture her on their camera phones, more out of a sense of duty than appreciation. She has become a logo. Something so familiar it lost all its meaning beyond what we get at a glance. Functionally, there's no difference in displaying the Mona Lisa and Kim Kardashian. But now, the internet has given art back to itself. The irony is, with the image accessible to everyone, everywhere, all of the time, the attention paid to it becomes scarce again. It's not dumb propaganda of the same picture screaming the same message at the masses. It's One image which doesn't speak with the chant of surging millions. When you look at M, you hear one voice speaking quietly with a message just for you. NFTs could undo all the damage done by pop art. By wrapping art in the blockchain, it gave it a chance to be truly free again. To truly own one of M's artworks is to be a custodian of something unique, beautiful, and at the same time share it with the entire world. It is a refutation of turning the Mona Lisa into a meme. It could change everything. The way I saw it, M gave me a chance to wrestle the revolution back from the rubber barons. The deeper I got into NFTs, the less time I had for the absurd and expensive 8-bit pokemon assed visions of what art and tech could be. Blockchain tech has given humanity an incredible new frontier and how to create, and this is what you do with it? That's the sort of Arrested Development man-baby bullshit that ruined the film industry. Making everyone so scared of not making a billion dollars in the first weekend that filmmakers will never get to make a movie that's not about a superhero. What's wrong with making and owning art for the aesthetic? What happened to wanting to own something beautiful? Having said all that, I didn't hate the money. The first work that M gave me, that I really loved, was this. I minted it as an NFT, and talked a gallery into putting it up for auction. I listed it as a work by M, although in the fine print I claimed copyright of the work. After all, I had inspired it, trained M, and motivated it to create. Really, when you'd thought about it, the inspiration was mine. All the masters did it. Most nobody hanging on the walls of the Louvre painted their own fucking pictures. They just project-directed them. If Vermeer were around today be the fucking accounts man in the blue suit sitting on the edge of the boss's desk while she laughed at his jokes. So I sold the painting, took receipt of my Ether, and then came back a couple of days later to check its value against the dollar and had a minor meltdown. My ETH, which a few days earlier had been worth a few hundred bucks, had multiplied many times over. Soon I was doing little in my spare time but refreshing the coin exchanges, watching as the crypto shook up and down as unstable billionaires stomped around in the markets. Every morning I would check my wallet to find that I'd accumulated thousands of dollars in my sleep, or else it had vanished, been whisked out of existence by a tweet from Elon Musk. I grew to live for that feeling, the plunge of the stomach, the adrenaline shooting up my spine, the thrill of all that money being held in a scrow by fate. I loved it. The feeling of free will, the anticipation of glory, the dread of loss. The best part, or perhaps the worst, is that I even started to enjoy losing money when the markets fell. It all seemed divorced from consequence. If I moved all my money from ETH to BTC and the bottom fell out of Bitcoin, I would simply mint another work and I was back at it. Everywhere I looked, the potential was limitless. I figured if I wanted to make money, I would go to the greats and at the confluence of high art and finance, there was nobody greater than Hearst. What would Hurst make of M? What would M make of Hurst? I decided to ask it. I showed it Hearst, sharks, the media around the shark, the discourse, and sat with M for hours and held court, telling M all about conceptual art, what I thought of it, where it had gone all wrong. Now and again I took a drink, yes, but it was thirsty work. And now and again, my phone would beep or my watch would vibrate, letting me know I had an email, but after a while, I turned it off. Nobody wrote to me anymore except for work, and if it were urgent, someone would call. I was eager to see what M would do with conceptual art, what it thought of it all. The answer is... Well, not much. Have a look for yourself. Either M was less advanced than I thought... Or he just didn't see a lot to inspire him here. Alright, buddy, I told him. Let's move you onto something you like.